Welcome back to The Bone Zone here on 94.3-1047-K News. I'm Dr. Raj Sinha from Star Orthopedics. Uh, the Bone Zone is sponsored by Star Orthopedics and the, Des- the Desert Stem Cell Project. So we're talking about knee arthritis and knee pain. So um, I talked about a bunch of non-surgical options. I didn't even get to steroids and um, gels in the last in the last break, so in the last segment, rather. So what steroids do um, is when we inject steroids like cortisone into your joint, it's mostly an anti-inflammatory. There is a slight analgesic effect similar to ibuprofen and those sort of drugs, but it's it's much stronger. It's ibuprofen on steroids, if you will, uh-huh, pun intended. But the downside is that there is a toxicity to it. So that they, by, by hampering or by blocking the inflammatory response, you're actually causing some damage to the cartilage. And so over time, if you get too much steroid, you actually accelerate the arthritis. So that's why we try to use it judiciously and try to spread it out as much as we can between injections. Um, The gel injections, nobody really knows how they work, but the, the theory is that when you inject the gel, which is the same molecule as our joint fluid, it actually stimulates the cells in the cartilage to produce more lubricating uh, chemicals so that the friction is less in the joint. And when the friction is less, the pain receptors that get stimulated by friction don't get stimulated, and therefore you don't send those pain signals to your brain. It it turns out that a lot of the uh, biological treatments seem to be equally as effective as the hyaluronic acid, the uh, the gel injections, uh, but they seem to have better staying power. So we're waiting for more research on that. But thus far, the biological treatments seem to be much more... um, interesting and definitely much, hopefully much more effective in the long term. We're still trying to perfect some of the dosages and things like that. So that's sort of the the, the brunt of what you can do non-surgically. And that sort of brings you then to what do you do surgically? Well, remember I was talking about there's three compartments in the knee, the inner side, the outer side, and the space between the kneecap and the end of your thigh bone. So in addition to the surface cartilage that you have there, you also have a meniscus cartilage. It's a C-shaped cartilage. They sit between the bones. They help provide flexibility and stability whenever you go into deep bending, and they also help provide stability and cushion whenever you're changing direction very rapidly, like in sports. As you develop arthritis in the knee, the pressure on the meniscus starts to get a little bit higher, and like the cartilage on the surface of the bone that's degenerating from just age, the meniscus starts to degenerate from age too, and so the meniscus actually becomes very susceptible to getting torn from relatively minor injuries. I've had people just, you know, wake up uh, funny or rather sleep funny in bed in a weird position and wake up with a torn meniscus. I've had people stumble over a curb and tear their meniscus. And then it becomes very important, therefore, for the surgeon to differentiate whether the pain is coming from a torn meniscus or or from the arthritis in the knee. And they're very different. The meniscus tears will cause pain and swelling, but they'll also cause sharp catching pain. The arthritis will cause pain and swelling and dull aching pain. So if you're mostly having dull aching pain, it's probably more the arthritis than the meniscus. And if you're having more sharp catching pain and, and, and locking and, and, and uh, buckling, it's probably more the meniscus. Why is that important? I see so many patients who have a meniscal tear on MRI with arthritis associated with it. Their pain is really more dull and aching, and they get an arthroscopic surgery and they wonder why they haven't gotten any better. 
Well, because the problem wasn't the torn meniscus. There are a lot of people walking around with torn meniscus cartilages. I'm one of them. I can't even remember which one it was that I tore 30 years ago. But when I tore it, my knee was actually locking, and I couldn't straighten my knee all the way out. And then I happened to trip and fall down some stairs. I wouldn't recommend that as a method. It unlocked my knee, and my and my meniscus tear really hasn't bothered me since. It acts up every so often. You know, like, like I said, I can't remember which knee it was that I that I originally injured. So a lot of people walk around with meniscal tears that aren't the problem. So you got you have to differentiate whether you're going to do, you know, whether you're treating the meniscus tear or the the problem from the arthritis. Again, as I mentioned, the, the, the progression of the arthritis is relatively slow, but a lot of times you do the arthroscopic surgery, it changes the whole biomechanical environment of the joint, and the next thing you know, that arthritis pain has accelerated and the erosion has accelerated rather than being a, you know, a slow progression. A lot of people will get benefit from arthroscopic surgery for their arthritis pain. In fact, the studies show that somewhere around 60 to 70% of people can expect between six months and two years of pain relief, but then it comes back. About 10 years ago, there was this, a lot of uh, hubbub in the media about this study that was done at the, the VA in, in Texas where they did sham surgery, meaning they, they took groups of patients who had meniscal tears with arthritis, uh, and half of them got surgery and half of them just got an incision in the skin and didn't have anything done. At the end of it, the results were the same. And you know the media was all in an uproar, and surgeons were like, uh, "Duh, we've known that for a long time. <laughs> we didn't even need we didn't need a study to prove something that we've known for a long time. And why are you guys getting all excited about this? Like every surgeon knows that. So anyway, but but it becomes it becomes important to know that you know in that situation, an arthroscopic surgery has limited benefit. And so again, if if somebody tells you you're going to get an arthroscopic surgery, you have arthritis, you got a meniscal tear, you're going to be 100 percent better. That's probably a little bit of an overreach. Another condition that we are seeing more and more of is the stress fracture. So people injure their meniscus cartilages from an injury, but the injury puts such a load on the bone that they get these little stress fractures in their bone. And if you don't address the stress fracture at the time of the arthroscopic surgery, people still have significant pain afterwards. And it's really easy now to address the stress fracture. We basically, at the time of the surgery, we just inject some bone graft. It hardens in about 10 minutes and essentially the fracture is healed. Now, it hasn't completely healed, but it's stabilized so that most of the pain is gone almost immediately, and it takes about six weeks for that bone graft to fully incorporate into your own bone, and after that time, you know, most of your pain is gone. I would say, oh, about 90% of my patients have 100% pain relief, about 8% have you know, 60 to 70 or more percent pain relief, and about 2 to 3% get no pain relief. And those are the people that wind up getting joint replacements. The other parenthetical, you know, side effect that we've learned from doing this bone grafting is that because it takes pressure off of that damaged cartilage, it seems to decrease the signals of pain that are sent from your damaged cartilage to your brain. So it actually helps your arthritis pain, not in everybody, but in about 60% of people. So a nice uh, parenthetical benefit. And that sort of brings us to the replacements. And again, if you have only arthritis in one compartment, then you're a good candidate for a partial knee replacement. The analogy I give people is, you know, if one tooth is bad, you don't rip out all 32 teeth to fix the one tooth. You just fix the one tooth. So in a knee that only has one part bad, you know, we try to leave as much normal stuff behind and we just do a partial knee replacement. The advantage of partial knee replacements is that they – People recover a little bit faster than total knee replacements. It feels more like a normal knee, 
And a lot of the research studies show that people with partial knee replacements have a higher activity level, meaning they can get back to doing more things that they want to do compared to similar patients who get a total knee replacement. So that's why we like to talk about it. The one downside to a partial knee replacement is that the cartilage is still susceptible to degrading, and therefore it's hard to predict in whom it's going to continue to degrade. And in fact, the research studies show that about 10% of people who get a partial knee replacement will wind up needing that converted to a total knee replacement at some point in their lifetime. And it's almost always because of wear and tear of the of the cartilage that progresses. Occasionally it'll be because the, you know, the the surgery was not done well, but that's that's because partial knees are a little bit harder technically to do than total knee replacement. So you want to make sure that if you're getting a partial knee, the person who's doing it has done a lot of them. And that brings us to a total knee replacement. So I think a more accurate term for total knee replacement really is total knee resurfacing because we're not taking away all of the bone in your knee. We're just taking off about a quarter to to three-eighths of an inch of the bone on the thigh and about the same amount off of the end of the uh, shin bone. And that's all we're taking off. And then that creates a space uh, between the two bones. And then we have to put something back in the space so you can walk on it and bend it. And it happens to be metal and plastic that we put in there. And that's what a total knee replacement uh, means. Sometimes people will not replace the undersurface of the kneecap. Um, there's been studies over the years that show that, you know, if you, if you replace the undersurface of the kneecap, there might be a higher chance of other problems uh, with that total joint. Uh, so a lot of surgeons have advocated, let's not resurface it unless we absolutely have to, or they do something called selective resurfacing, which means that if the kneecap looks bad, they'll, they'll replace it. And if the kneecap doesn't look bad, they won't replace it. But the upshot is if you, if you cull through all the uh, orthopedic literature on that particular issue, that it really depends upon which implant system you're using, uh, whether you're using a, um, a particular design or not. So for 20 years, I've always replaced the undersurface of the kneecap, and honestly, it's served me very well. There's such few complications from doing that that I don't see the reason not to. And, it, and for a lot of people, it saves them unnecessary secondary surgery because if that cartilage wears out later on, then they're back getting another operation. You're listening to The Bone Zone on 94.3, 104.7 K News. I'll be back in a few minutes.